For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Hey y'all, this is Josiah Gray, and this is Half Street High Heat. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Half Street High Heat. Episode 12, I believe, of Season 4. And it is a very special episode. I feel like I've been saying that a lot recently, but it is true. As it is our national season preview. And I understand the state of the nationals. I haven't been shy about sharing it myself. But it doesn't mean, you know, that we shouldn't be excited about some of the storylines. Um, it does mean that there are some storylines that we won't be excited about but nevertheless we are going to cover it all the same and during today's season preview episode we have three very special guests that are joining us jesse doherty of the washington post blake finney of federal baseball and matt wyrick of nbc sports washington all join us to break down the nats and talk about the upcoming 2022 season and honestly it was a good time during these interviews obviously the the Nats are not the most fun team to talk about right now, and they're not the most fun Nats team to talk about in recent history. But being able to have these kinds of honest conversations with people who cover the Nats for a living is just a really good time. And it's refreshing to have realistic expectations on the Nationals for once, because normally, especially after 2019, it's been, oh, the Nationals are division contenders or wildcard contenders whatever and this year we can kind of reset readjust our expectations and just enjoy the ride if you have expectation free baseball you have pressure free baseball and you can enjoy it a little bit more and i think that's what we kind of get somewhat at least from these interviews we do touch on some of the We'll call them missed opportunities for the Nationals, both in the offseason and heading into the 2022 season. So we will cover it all from spring training to the overall vibe of the Nationals uh, to, you know, predictions and season predictions for general MLB as well. We got it all for you today. It's going to be a very great episode. But before we get to that, 
I want to talk about the big announcement that we just posted on our Twitter at Half Street High Heat, and that is the launch of the Half Street High Heat Patreon. I believe most of you are probably familiar with what a Patreon is, but in case you're not, it's basically like a membership platform that makes it easy for artists or content creators or whoever to get paid and i I i'll be 100 percent transparent we are not doing this to get paid this is not uh, our retirement fund by any means but we do this for fun and we do like to you know be able to give back and do stuff like giveaways and you know create more content which in some cases does cost money so it is nice to have a little bit of income and you know be able to do those things and be able to give back to your listeners because obviously without you guys we would not be able to do anything remotely close to this um but that being said our patreon page i am very very excited for it we have four new spin-off shows debuting over on patreon uh, we have the Half Street Fantasy Hour, which is myself and CK talking about everything fantasy baseball related. Our first episode is actually already on there. We covered, uh, we did a live mock draft and covered just draft st- strategies, excuse me, in general. Um, so that's a very good breakdown and kind of tips and tricks to help you win your fantasy baseball league. We also got a 96 out of 100 grade uh according to fantasy pros on our mock draft. So I think we did pretty well for our first episode. We have the amateur update, which is um, Monty's brainchild. It is all about uh, the minor leagues and college baseball and prospects in the MLB draft. Basically all of the young, you know, stars or soon to be stars that we will see in baseball. And Monty does a really, really good job with it. I, I know I'm supposed to be selling it and hyping it up and, and all this stuff, and, and Monty's my friend, so I'm obviously going to support him. But I listened to the first episode, which is available on Patreon, and the first episode was actually posted for free through our main podcast account, so you get a, a taste of what to expect from this show, uh, and we'll do that for all the shows as well. Um, but he, he did a really good job. It's not easy to talk by yourself for an hour and keep it interesting. But I, you know, I'm a big coastal Carolina fan for college baseball and that's the, you know, extent of my college baseball knowledge. And I still found myself very, very interested in what Monty had to say. So I believe, you know, a lot of baseball fans, regardless of your fandom, uh, college baseball, MLB, whatever, will get something out of this. And it's very interesting. And obviously everyone's involved in the MLB draft. So you can get good information that will impact your team. Uh, you don't have to necessarily be a Nats fan to enjoy that. We also have Pitch Perfect, which is a spinoff show featuring Amanda and Allison. And in each week, it's going to be a, kind of an in-depth episode about a different aspect of baseball or, you know, the Nationals in particular, roster opinions, history lessons on, you know, lesser known Nats players or, or facts or anything like that. And just current storylines and topics that might be going on with the Nationals or around baseball or just anything, you know, they want to talk about it's going to be a very kind of deep dive analysis brain dump tangential type epi- or um, show i should say and it's going to be really interesting to just be able to really flesh out a conversation and not have to cover you know all of the games that happened that week or you know the, the latest trade that's going on obviously they, they can talk about that but they can really just really flesh out and have a good thorough conversation on a a ton of baseball topics so i'm very uh 
you know, interested and excited to hear what they have to say on all things baseball, not just Nats, but of course, you know, they will cover the Nats as well. We also have the pickoff, which is a half street high heat gambling show uh, presented by Matt Holleran. And this show is going to be exactly what it sounds like each week. Matt's going to hop on Patreon, you know, probably a couple times a week. And just give out winners if you're into sports bend, sports betting, excuse me, and just gambling in general. This is the show for you. Obviously, the Nats are the first MLB team to partner with a sports betting uh, platform in BetMGM. I know some people aren't excited about that, but hey, like this is the way the world's going. This is you know the direction sports are moving. They're now embracing sports betting when previously you know you could get blackballed for it it's that's a whole separate conversation that i will actually leave for pitch perfect to dive into um but that will also be including picks from the listeners on you know who they like that week that week's games matchups what have you uh so that way you know we can get winners from everywhere we don't really care where a winner comes from as long as it's a winner because uh, we're all trying to make money we're all on the same team here um so i'm very excited to hear matt's takes and uh just see how good of a sports better he is which i understand he is uh, pretty intelligent when it comes to that otherwise he wouldn't be doing the show so those are just some of the shows that will be featured on our half street high heat patreon page if you are interested in one of these shows, it's going to be $3 a month. If you're interested in multiple of them or all of them, I encourage you to check out the Ultimate Bundle, which is all four shows, plus uh, additional merchandise, videos, articles, analysis, breakdowns, all that good stuff for just $10 a month. Uh, I understand, you know, asking anyone to spend their hard-earned money is that just that. It's, it's an ask, but... I promise you it will be worth it. We wouldn't be doing this if we didn't feel good about the content we could put out there. Um, I hope you guys have enjoyed and have trust in us uh, after three years of doing Half Street High Heat that we wouldn't just do this uh, for the hell of it. We're doing this because you know we have a bunch of great baseball minds here at Half Street High Heat and we have a lot of um, you know, ideas to share with you guys and, and keep you guys interested throughout the 2022 season and beyond. Because, um, like we talked about earlier, this 2022 season might not be the best for the Nationals. So, we definitely want to keep it fresh, talk about different things, so we're not just having to talk about how the Nets lost in that way. You know, a, a particular week we can kind of, uh, you know, diversify our content and you know keep you guys interested and keep it you know optimistic and not so negative seemingly all the time so be sure to check out half street high heat on patreon and subscri subscribe today we also have a giveaway going on for cherry blossom merchandise which is obviously very very fire that's one thing we haven't talked about in the podcast yet so if you haven't gotten merchandise yet or you just want more of it uh be sure to screenshot your patreon subscription doesn't matter what tier or level it is screenshot it Reply to the giveaway on Twitter, and you could be selected as the winner for some Cherry Blossom merchandise. All right, but enough of that. Back to the show. Again, this is our Nationals season preview episode. We are first joined by Jesse Doherty of the Washington Post. He's been on the show a couple times before. Ryan and I got a chance to sit down and talk with him. Jesse does a great job of diving into you know, the spring training sort of results and atmosphere and some of the rationale behind 
the roster moves we have seen trickling in for the Nationals and how they're set up for the 2022 season. We've kind of alluded to it so far, but it is going to be an interesting for uh, the Nationals uh, positionally, definitely, um, and how they decide to deploy some of their assets or lack thereof. But Jesse has it all covered, and here he is. We're now joined by Jesse Doherty, beat writer for the Washington Post. You guys can find him on Twitter at, uh, at Doherty underscore Jesse. And make sure you guys head on over to the WashingtonPost.com slash sports to keep up with all of Jesse's latest pieces and all things Nats. Jesse, I do, man. Thanks for joining us. Yes, yeah, great, guys. I appreciate having me. Yeah, I'm, baseball's finally here. Uh, some people may not be too excited for the national season considering it wasn't the best spring training. Um, the team has a lot of questions, a lot of questions, especially on the pitching end. Um, Patrick Corbin was announced as the opening day roster, but the rotation after him is a little bit of a question mark. How can we expect the Nats to fill out the rest of the rotation following Corbin, especially since a lot of these guys didn't get as many innings as they normally do in spring training? Yeah, it's a good question. So I, I think the, uh, the parts you don't have to start the year are Joe Ross and Steven Strasburg. So if you would have thought about this rotation, maybe in, uh, you know, December or January and had the sunniest view of both, you know, Ross's elbow rehab and Strasburg's ability to return on time, you would have had both those guys penciled in probably in the top four spots. So cross those guys off for now. Um, they'll stay in Florida and keep rehabbing. Um, but so Corbin on Thursday, if, if you went by spring training starts, um, which is a decent indication because the nationals will want their guys to go into the season with some sort of, regular routine. Um, Josiah Gray would start Friday because he started Sunday in West Palm. Monday is both Anibal Sanchez and, and Joanna Doan. So that's a bit of a confusing one because they're pitching the same day. Um, so I would guess that means Anibal on Saturday, lining him up for regular rest. And then Tuesday's Eric Fetty, who had some right side tightness in the past week, um, was scratched this past Thursday, a lot of days. Um, and and they would nationals would like him to slot in in that fourth spot. So now the fifth spot, it's either, you know, a maybe um, gets shifted back if they really like what they're seeing or Josh Rogers is sort of this roving wild card. He came into camp really ready. He was ramped up, you know, almost to a full start um, basically because he, what he told me was like, I need to make this team. I can't come in and just like throw five bullpen sessions. Like some guys can, right. Who have like penciled in roster spots. So um, I think the Nationals had to almost like draw him back a little bit because he was so ahead of schedule coming in and so ready to pitch um, that that became kind of a conundrum. So, uh, yeah, I'd say that's sort of the mix. You could get six names out of it, and uh, it's going to be interesting. <laughs> yeah, I kind of have this, the same thoughts there. It is uh, kind of cool to hear Josh Rogers was almost like too ready for spring training because it feels like, you know, add in the the lockout and then prior to that obviously the pandemic feels like we hear so much about guys like not being ready or having to ramp up it is kind of cool in even though it is uh, a conundrum like you said to hear a guy you know really ready ready to go so hopefully he you know makes the most of it uh i'm sure you've been you know answering this question a million times i'm probably sure we uh asked you about it last time steven strasberg you know, his timetable for return. He's obviously throwing now, which is a very, you know, um, promising sign. Assuming everything goes like as planned, there's no setbacks. What's the the timetable for a return for Steven Strasburg? Yeah, so the the last sort of like sort of 
I guess, uh, number or like metric we had for this is that Davey threw out that 20 to 25 starts. And that was thrown out as, you know, 25 being best case, 20 being the low end of the expectation. And also it being that he starts and doesn't stop again. So if you, if you think of that, 25 starts puts him in like mid-May, you're kind of, you're kind of, uh, you're subtracting from 33. Uh, and then 20, 33 being like a, a like a, just a fully healthy season. And then 20 puts him in like mid-June almost. So I, would, I, I guess the most conservative thing I can do is probably split the difference, right? And say like late May, early June uh, would feel, based on that prognosis, would feel pretty good. But again, like, I mean, one of the more telling things like Mike Rizzo said to me, and it might not feel like a big deal, is like we, we this would be so much easier. And it's obvious, but if this was Tommy John or – if this was something like a oblique strain, like there's just, it's just such like surgery for thoracic outlet syndrome is such an unknown. And so many pitchers have had such a hard time navigating the return from it. And there's a reason for that, right? Cause it's difficult and it's, you know, it's, um, it's unique and there's not a lot of you know data and guidance and, and known, you know, you know, courses that work. So I think like those 20 to 25 start met like sort of predictions, maybe give us a, some a loose time frame, but like I would, you know, I, I sound like a team official by saying this, but I would like caution against any sort of like, you know, timetable just because the unknown of this and the uncertainty we've had, you know, trying to predict Strasburg's, you know, immediate and long-term future since his first surgery two summers ago um, has been really dicey and hard to do. So, but that's, that's sort of the best way I could, I could characterize it right now. Yeah, that makes sense. And well, I guess we'll see how the first month or two of the season unfolds, but there right now there isn't a, need to have him back it's not like we're in the stretch playoff run or anything like right in may or anything so i guess no timetable would be you know not the worst thing in the world i want to move on to another pitcher that's dealing you know with previous injuries and and working his way back have we heard any uh update on on will harris and two-parter if will harris is not ready to go is there kind of a favorite for the early season closer role uh whoever would get the first crack at it Ooh. Um, he is going to start the year in Florida too. Um, he's in that group. So, uh, meaning start the year on the injured list. Right. Uh, in, in terms of closer, I, I think probably more than ever, I think a lot of years, Dave Martinez will sort of promise to do this like by committee thing where he works matchups. And, and personally, I feel like that's probably the most prudent way to manage your bullpen. I, I feel like just because of the personnel, this is the year where he actually like does that. Um, whereas mm-hmm. in the past seasons, maybe he pledged to do that and then, would ride Tanner Rainey in that spot or Kyle Finnegan last year or Sean Doodle or, uh, you know, or Brad Hand. Whereas like, I think, you know, Steve Ciszek and Tanner Rainey and Kyle Finnegan and Sean Doodle and some mix of that, you know, could, could potentially step in and, and get those last three outs. Because I mean, like, as we know, and I know there's more of a, there's a theoretical and, and psychological element to this, but like, they're not necessarily the hardest three outs, right? Like if you have, <laughs> the Mets three, four, five coming up on, right. On April 7th this week. And you, you know, think that Kyle Finnegan's sinker and his slider are the best matchup. Like I wouldn't, you know, if I'm Davey and again, I, I caution against making myself a manager, but like, I'm not holding that guy back because I want him to pitch the ninth. Right. Like I'm going to, I'm going to try and get those three outs because then you figure that do it or uh, C or someone else can maybe handle six, seven, eight or whatever. Maybe. So uh, I think it would be more by committee. And, and frankly, like, I think that's probably a, a good, a good mode to get into um, for just sort of modern. 
Makes sense. Yeah, I feel like it would have been a revolving door anyways if it didn't go by committee just because his pitching staff is, for lack of a better word, bad. So it's probably going to be interesting in the bullpen as well. Shifting gears to position players, one of the interesting decisions, in my opinion, was Riley Adams got the backup spot on the roster for a catcher. What was the decision like what went behind the decision of having him up at the major league level instead of being in triple a where he can play every day and potentially learn first or left field because ruiz is going to get the lion's share of work at catcher up here at the pros yeah there was sort of like a flash in the pen storyline of camp where davy maybe mentioned that trace Brower could be a better option and i understood it i mean i think he's a better glove probably better game manager and um but like if I'm, you know, again, I think this is probably where the Nationals fell in this. Um, Riley Adams is a better bat, and he's probably has a, a longer future with the Nationals. And, like, for me, even if Ruiz is playing 120, 130 games, you know, which is a, a massive undertaking for a catcher, but he's young, I, I would say, like, it, 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 rather than getting Adams regular at-bats, which is, is good, but, like, you know, he's probably a backup. I think the best thing they can do is like get him, you know, speaking the language at the major league level, right? Like his, his, his flaws, like his Achilles heel, and is like, is like, you know, receiving and game calling right now because he hasn't done it a ton at the major league level. And um, he's, he's a bigger catcher that has to sort of compensate for that um, behind the plate. So I think like the day-to-day work with Henry Blanco and with Ruiz and with the pitching staff and being in on advanced meetings is like probably beneficial in the long term. Um, versus, you know, playing every day in Rochester for the at-bats. And also, like, Martinez has made it very clear, like, if something happened to Ruiz, he wants Adams to play. And I think that guy should be around the team rather than stepping in and learning a a full staff, as you said, a a really sort of, um, you know, slipshot staff, for lack of a better term. Um, (laughs) I would say, like, I would say, like, that guy should be around that, that, those guys and, and learning them, not coming up from Rochester with his bat in a rhythm, but lost on what those guys have been doing at the major league level. So I, that, that's where I fall on that. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, there is good experience to be had being up with the big club, even if you're not getting regular at-bats, like you said. I want to uh, ask you about uh, one of the brighter spots uh, of spring training and, you know, one of the feel-good stories, and that's D. Strange Gordon. Uh, just announced today that he made the opening day roster, kind of a utility guy. Is that the role, uh, you know, we're going to see him in, at least early on in the season? Or is he going to be competing for one of the starting spots somewhere? I think utility, and I think also, like, you know, he allows you to, like, carry Yadiel Hernandez, which the Nationals are going to do because he is a corner outfield glove as well. And so that's, like, I think that, to me, means, like, they're hoping he backs up everywhere, uh, being, you know, short, second, left. Um, you don't really need to back him in right. <laughs> but uh, center, too, and he's played all those spots. So. Yeah, I mean, I think he hit really well. He's he put makes a lot of contact. He comes to base as well. He's fast still, so like it's an interesting addition. I you know I, I over the winter when the Nationals were collecting, you know, minor league contract guys to push younger guys in camp. I, I don't. I never thought the best case scenario was those guys were all on the roster come opening day. Uh, but you know things happen, and um, the Keebum injury is one. The uh, A Ray or Adrianza injury is another. But we're still sort of you know, waiting to get the final result on or whether he's going to start the year on the IL, but it's looking that way. So 
yeah, I mean, I, th- I think I think you'll see more utility than starter. Like I know last year, you know, it seemed like that, and then Starling Castro beat out Carter Keboom and Josh Harrison was starting at second, where he was supposed to be that utility guy, right? So like I think there's obviously pass onto the roster, but but this year there's fewer like roster question marks with those sort of core positions. Like Cesar Hernandez is really like you know he he has the job at second, and um, Michael Franco seems to have the job at third for now with Carter Hurt. So I, I think there's less question going you know into this first week like where Gordon could play and they just wanted to have him as that like, really virtual bench. And you, you mentioned um, center field and left field as possible options where he could back up as well. The Thomas and Robles situation is kind of interesting. We all know about Robles' struggles. Um, Thomas hasn't seen righties too well. Could this be a situation where both of them are kind of platooning or are the Nats going to let, Robles and Thomas just figure it out in center field and left field throughout the entire season. Yeah. The only way I could see that is like, if they really like feel like the offense is a lift and Thomas is really, you know, struggling, I could see, you know, Yadiel maybe getting some starts and left, but, but his glove really struggles out there. I mean, he's just not, not, not an outfielder. He's left in DH really. So I think you'll see mostly at least early on that, you know, Thomas and left Robles in center and let it's a sink or swim situation. Like I get it. Um, I, I think it's interesting that some parts of the roster, they are, you know, they're, they're kind of, le- they're kind of letting it be a, an experiment for lack of a better term. And other parts, they're really hell bent on it. Not like, that's one of the things that is a bit confusing to me and, and, and intriguing about this team is like, where, like why, for example, does Victor Robles get some of a leash in center, but you had to sign a second baseman to put Luis Garcia back in the minors, right? Like, I, I think it's, it's like, it's a bit confusing or interesting rather that like, that some spots seem to be like, okay, for this sort of like, well, let's see. And then some spots seem to like be filled by a veteran, which Mike Rizzo would say like the back of the baseball card shows me who he is. So I have a bit more of an assurance of what I'm getting day to day rather than like the volatility of a young developing player. So um, but yeah, in, in early on, it seems like center and left will certainly be spots where they've earmarked to say, we can, we can take some chances here and see what we have. Speaking of seeing what we have, uh, it seems, and you mentioned it earlier, uh, Michael Franco has the opening day, third baseman job locked down and, uh, he put it together a great day. Like you tweeted out earlier, uh, at the plate today, but let's say, you know, there is some struggles early on in the season who would compete for you know, that job? Because it seems like, like you said, Hernandez has the job locked down at second. Would we see a situation if Franco struggles early that Hernandez switches to third and then they bring up someone to play second? Or what's, you know, what's the competition for Michael Franco with uh, Carter Keebum injured? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I'm not totally positive. I think Me neither. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) The depth gets thin really quick, right? Or there really isn't much. So um, Hernandez hasn't really played third. I, I think more likely, like if Area Adrianza comes back and is hitting decently, he gets he probably gets everyday reps there, and they have to bring up somebody like, you know, uh, maybe like a Jackson Clough to be your you know extra infielder or um, someone of that sort. So um, or if D Gordon's still your backup infielder, they bring up Donovan Casey to be you know your second outfielder, or, you know whatever it may be. Like you kind of you kind of can patch it that way. Because Adrianza, like, you know, his offensive numbers with Atlanta were pretty good. You know, it wasn't every day at bats, but like he's a he should be solid at the plate if he got the opportunities. So like 
you know, I could see that if like there's sort of <laughs> DEFCON reason to replace Michael Franco, which there could be, right? Like, I don't know. Um, it's, it's possible. It's probably more possible than not. And uh, that's, that's concerning for sure. It's it's really concerning that they need Michael Franco to be healthy. <laughs> yeah, I don't mean to put you on the spot, Jesse. Like we were just asking the same questions. <laughs> no, it's all good. It's all good. Um, you you mentioned Luis Garcia, and I I kind of want to talk about that because that was a move I didn't understand. Is why he went down. Um, like when you look at the roster, the team's not going to compete. So like he's not going to hurt anything from being up in the majors. They could have slid Hernandez over the third, but obviously that's not the route they're going. What was the decision? I'm sorry. What was the reasoning to have Luis Garcia start the year in AAA? Cause to me, it didn't really make a lot of sense. Yeah. I don't, I don't get it much either. I mean, I, I guess like I would have probably played him at shortstop because I think like, like what all you're doing is, is like, I don't even know. I, this is just conjecture. Like, are you trying to like maintain like some trade value potentially? Like, and I, I think these guys, there's enough like on these guys, like teams know what they are. Right. Like it's not, so like the only, the way you don't want to do is like try to get out there at shortstop, have him make like 20 errors in the first like two months. And then like, then no one wants them and you don't want them. And then it's just like dead weight. I get that. But like, it feels like, like the book is there, right? Like he has like gap to gap power when going well, you know, he's, he has some pop to, you know, to the full side. He like, He's decent with two strikes. He's probably needs to have better pitch selection and he's not a great fielder, but like on this team, like you take that chance that like he comes into his own, he figures something out on the fly. Right. Like I, I, I would, I, again, I might've done that, I think, but like, I, I'm not the GM or the manager for a reason. So I, I question it for sure. I, I have questioned it. I will continue to um, like both Hernandez and Franco and D Gordon, like, I understand you can't just try it out a bunch of 23-year-olds, but I feel like you should have maybe tried it out more to start this season. I guess it's the best way I can put it. Yeah, it definitely seems like they were kind of in between. Some guys we will get a chance to see what they have, and then some guys they, you know, aren't giving the the full everyday job to, which can't necessarily blame them, but it is interesting to see, you know, where they made the decisions in some places and where they didn't make it in other places. Jesse, I want to do some rapid fire with you about, you know, some projections for the Nationals 2022 season. First question, what place do you think the Nats finish in? And if you want to, you can give a win uh, projection prediction. No, I think they finished in last. <laughs> Same. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately I do too. <laughs> All I right. don't have a win total in my head. I I, I don't know. It's, it's too – it's too hard to predict knowing like what they'll be after the deadline because right. I just like, don't like, cause they like, who's even going to be flippable. Right. Like that's a question mark for me too. Like Cruz. Yes. Um, C-Sheck probably. But Do from you think there, they like, would tra- trade Josh Bell? Yeah. I mean, that's a big one. Like that to me, like is interesting. Like I, I don't know the answer to that. I, I could see a situation in which like they want to try and retain him and, and maybe go to the free agent market and, and hold him till the end and use that exclusive two months to talk to him and discuss a contract. But I don't, I don't know that. And that's not like reported. That's just in conjecture. Right. Right. Um, yeah. But that, that's the thing, right? Like if Josh Bell's out here and Nelson Cruz is and Steve Ciszek is, and there's a taker for Sean DeWoodle and there's a taker for Cesar Hernandez, then like, yeah, maybe it's like, it's maybe it's a hundred and five, like three or five lost team. Right. Like mm-hmm. but if all those guys stick around and they're, and they're decent, like I could see somewhere like in the mid sixties, you know, 
Gotcha. All right. Who do you think the team's MVP is? Obviously there there's Juan Soto, but is there like a, does someone step up as the true number two? I think, Ru- I think Ruiz, I think Ruiz will, I mean, I'll, I'll probably like answer that, like in terms of like relative to expectations. Right. Like, right. I think Cruz and Bell will provide close to what they provide. I think Bell's looked really good in spring training actually his timing was around probably quicker than anybody else. Um, Cruz's has not looked great, but I think like that's probably fine. Uh, but yeah, Ruiz, I mean, I, I'm very impressed with him at the plate. Um, a lot of left-handed power, a lot of contact. I think he'll clean up RBIs in that in that five or six spot, depending on what the order looks like, hitting behind Soto, Cruz, and Bell. Um, he's a really good fit there. I think you could run into the trouble with some double play balls because of his contact rate, but I think generally he gets the ball in the air enough where he'll he'll maximize the opportunity to get some, to, you know, to to produce runs and, uh, and also, frankly, get a lot of good pitches to hit because I think he'll be hitting with guys on base a lot. Yeah, I like that. I'm fully buying into the uh, the Ruiz hype, uh, definitely. So I'm excited to see him in action in that lineup, like you just mentioned. All right, who do you think the Nationals team Cy Young a winner would be? That's, that's, that's a tough one. Because um, <laughs> I do, I, I do really think that Josiah's going to have some growing pains this year. Um, I think we mm-hmm. saw, and like totally valid growing pains, right? Like he's a he's a young pitcher and he doesn't have a lot of major league experience. And I think being a fly ball pitcher in this era takes some work. And I think it takes some experience of doing it right. and trying things. And I think that's like, we're going to see a pretty good high home run rate early on. I, I would think, and, and him struggle also like second and third time through orders, but um doesn't mean he won't be good at times. I just don't know if he'll be the team. Ty Young. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, uh, Steve Seashell. <laughs> Maybe uh, I think Fetty could have a decent year. I think um, again, relative to the expectations, I think he could take a, take a step. I've heard, you know, you always hear like things, things like this in spring, but it's, you know, I've heard that, you know, they, they think they've figured out some things analytic wise that, you know, they can maybe smooth out his, um, the rate, the sort of percentages on his pitch usage and make it a bit more equitable across the board instead of leaning, you know, too heavy fastball curveball and, uh, Right. I'm intrigued by that. I think he's a guy who takes data well and, and likes to, you know, adjust. And uh, yeah, so I'd say like Fetty and again, as sort of parsing all my answers as like relative to what they think they're going to be. Sure, sure. And then last question for the rapid fire. Uh, who's one guy, could be a guy in the minors even, who's one guy that's like a, a, a guy to watch, a, a dark horse name uh, for, uh, you know, someone who might be a, a good contributor to the team this season? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, I think so. <laughs> we this can get like totally voided by the time this posts. So let's uh, <laughs> yeah, this is true. Just, let's just for the sake of transparency, this is Sunday night. Um, I think Victor Arano is a really intriguing reliever. Um, I'm maybe a little bit blind because I'm currently working on a story just about him and Jordan Weems, who are kind of two of the last non-roster invites um, that are hanging around camp as relievers, but. Um, Arano is like his numbers with the Phillies. If you look at them, they're super small samples, but they're really impressive. And he's been hurt for the past two seasons or just, you know, went to Atlanta and never got in. And, but, you know, if he can get his VLO into the mid nineties and, and get his slider working like he did when he was with Philadelphia, um, he's, he's intriguing. And I think, um, he's a guy with, you know, some proven, you know, track record. It's, it's not quite as fun as saying like, you know, uh, maybe Jackson Rutledge is going to come up and blow people away or whatever, a prospect, mm-hmm. but, um, I think coming out of spring training, he's one that the coaching staff has really been 
impressed by and interested in. And even over the winter, there were some people in the front office I know that were excited they got him on a minor's deal and thought there was some upside to that signing. Would love to see it. And Jesse, last question we have for you today. What is one bold prediction you have for this 2022 season? I thought I was going to ask like, for like a Mark, March Madness prediction or something. Um, <laughs> one bold. It's disappointing, guys. Uh, one, one bold prediction. Um, um, Josh Bell out homers, Nelson Cruz. Ooh. I like that a lot. Is that spicy? I like that. it a lot. Is that spicy? Like I, I think I th- so. I think that is. That's more than the boomstick. I, I like it. I just thought of that right now. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> like, like, that was in the hot seat. <laughs> yeah. Delivered. That was like, because I mean, it's like, I mean, this is not even like trying to like make fun of the team at all, but like, it's hard to know who's going to play in a lot of the positions, right? Like it's, so like, to like project the season, like you're looking at like Soto, Cruz, Bell, Ruiz, and then Corbin Gray, and then like C-Sheck, Finnegan, Doolittle, right? Like that's – like those are like the nine players, if maybe ten or whatever it is, like who I'd be comfortable like predicting things about. Mm-hmm. Because other than that, like everyone's spots like pretty like precarious. Yeah, I mean – My TED talk. That's um, – <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm processing right now. I'm like, yeah, you're kind of right. <laughs> half Less than half the roster. I was yeah. kind of an issue with the Cherry Blossom jerseys. I had no idea who to buy because half the team's not going to be here come August. <laughs> Who'd you buy? Um, I actually went gray. I'm, I'm a big gray fan. Yeah, that's a, I think that's like a good call as far as like current jersey sales go. Yeah. I wanted I went to Ruiz, but they didn't have him. Which oh. is kind of, kind of interesting, you would think, with how much they're going to be leaning on him this year, they would have Ruiz jerseys, but they still don't have the, the Navy jerseys for sale on Fanatic. So who knows? Yeah, they, I mean, I don't know. the, you know, maybe like one of the top catching prospects in baseball. In the, yeah, the I know. Trade, yeah, exactly. trade for your two franchise cornerstones. You probably, <laughs> yeah. should, you probably should hang a few of his jerseys in the team store window. Yeah, it would be nice. <laughs> oh, man. But hey, what do I know? <laughs> oh, sorry. All right. So I have, I have one more question for you. Since you mentioned it, have to ask. There's a championship coming up. What's your World Series prediction? Who wins? Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> uh, Dodgers is like the easy pick, right? Like, right. Um, let's let's do a let's let's assume the Yankees get an arm at the deadline. Uh, Yankees over Braves. Okay. All right. I, I feel like people are kind of writing off the Yankees at this point because obviously the Blue Jays made all the moves and the Red Sox went oh. further than them last year. So I think it will push them, right? Like they've been really quiet previous deadlines. And I think like right. if they're in the thick of it and Toronto's good and like Tampa's good as always, I think the Red Sox might fade a little bit this year. Like I could see the I could see the Yankees like hitting the, you know, hitting go and like whoever the major starter on the market is and like really pushing the pace on this thing. I mean, their lineup is just nasty. So yeah, if they can stay healthy, like I'm I'm super intrigued by them. Don't mind that at all. I also yeah, just like, I mean, for the record, didn't want to pick the Dodgers. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's, <laughs> yeah, whenever we do our season predictions, we're like, uh, granted, it's the it's different this year because Jacob Degrom's hurt, but typically we caveat it with it's like, uh, we're gonna pick this guy for NL Cy Young if Jacob Degrom doesn't win, or right, you know, exactly. a- AL MVP if Mike Trout doesn't win. Like that's kind of right. how we do it. So right. <laughs> well, Jesse. Thank you so much for coming on and joining us. Um, it's go Tar Heels around here, by the way. Okay. Likewise. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, thank you so much for coming on and joining us. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Once again, you guys can give them a follow on Twitter at Doherty underscore Jesse. You guys can find them on WashingtonPost.com and you can also find them in the newspaper if you still get those delivered oh, to yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> Jesse, thank you so much for joining us, man. Uh, have a great rest of your week. Appreciate you guys. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Jesse. Big thanks once again to Jesse Doherty for joining us. It's always a pleasure getting a chance to catch up with Jesse, who has all of the inside information and was down in West Palm with the Nationals during spring training. So it was great getting a chance to talk to him again and you know get a real insider uh, track to just what went on during spring training and how the Nats are feeling heading into the 2022 season. Be sure to give Jesse a follow once again on Twitter at Doherty underscore Jesse and follow his work at the Washington Post. All right, next up for you, we interview Blake Finney of Federal Baseball. We've had Blake on the show a couple times as well. Amanda and I get a chance to talk to him and it's, uh, you know, we t- kind of talked about spring training with Jesse. With Blake, we kind of talked about the overall vibe of the Nats and kind of just realistic expectations uh, for some of the Nats players and, and you know, just their, their season in general. Uh, I will say once again, I said it earlier in the show and you kind of heard that with Jesse. We just got to have a very realistic talk with Blake and, and all of our guests about the Nats. And it was very refreshing to hear, you know, someone who is smarter than we are at Half Street High Heat be able to, um, you know, articulate and explain why, you know, they don't think the Nats are bound for much success in 2022. And, you know, also that it doesn't necessarily have to be all bad, but there is a lot that needs to go right in order for the Nats to have uh, success, at least this upcoming season. Blake has it for you. He's much better at explaining it than I am. So here he is. We're now joined by Blake Finney, friend of the show, uh, writer for Federal Baseball. Be sure to follow him on Twitter uh, at FinneyBlake and you know check out all of his latest work over at Federal Baseball. Blake, how are you doing today? Doing all good. Uh, glad to finally be in the final stretch before opening day after all the kerfuffle this off season right it's been such a wacky i feel like i've been saying this every single time we record so i'm probably beating a dead horse at this point but it's been such a wacky lead up post lockout to you know this point that it just feels good to finally be in that home stretch like you mentioned um but the Nats, <laughs> they have kind of a fine I want to be life. careful what we wish for. Yeah, I was going to say. Smooth transition there by me. The Nats have, the, the roster is starting to take shape. Um, you know, guys like D. Strange uh-huh. Gordon, who had great, <laughs> great springs, uh, great spring training ha- has made the team and Yadiel Hernandez made the team. The pitching, there is still some decisions to be made. We're recording this on Sunday night, but at this point, you know, we're recording on April 3rd. What's your general feeling of the Nats? Like, you know, with all of the offseason moves or, you know, the moves they didn't make, what's your general feeling of the Nats uh, as it stands right now? Yeah, um, I actually wrote about this a week ago or so. Um, I, like, I liked how the Nationals actually started and came out of the gate after the lockout finished. I think they came out pretty aggressively. Obviously, they got Cesar Hernandez just before the lockout. And then after the lockout, within like a couple of days, they came out, signed C-Sheck, signed Nelson Cruz, here Adrianza. Like they were 
it looked like they were going out pretty aggressively early on. Obviously, Nelson Cruz was the big one and kind of the one that people thought, actually, is this going to come? Is this going to result in like a bit more? And especially when Cruz was co- quoted by, uh, I think it was Hector Gomez, um, saying that potentially the Nationals were looking to bring more in to get competitive. And then they just kind of went silent. And um, at that point early on, I was thinking, actually, this is how teams are. Personally, I think this is how they should try and rebuild and try and accelerate that by getting guys in on one-year deals to either potentially sneak into the playoffs with this expanded postseason or more likely flip them at the deadline, get more lottery ticket prospects. Um, like, There's no such thing as a sure prospect. So the more shots that these guys you can get, the more likely you are to hit on them and potentially get, go through this rebuild quicker than, say, other teams like the Orioles and the Pirates who just strip everything down, barely spend any money and just wait for it to kind of organically come. So I kind of liked how they started and then it just faded. And now you've got this roster that's kind of not really close enough to sneak into a playoff spot. Maybe if you squint and you hit on about six or seven different ifs, like if the pitching staff holds up, if you get some reliable arms out of the bullpen, if the offense comes through, then maybe, but that's, that's, a pretty hard job on Squinton. I think you're kind of more looking at a team around 70 wins, something around that. Um, and kind of, it feels like a half done job rather than going fully one way or fully the other way. Yeah. yeah that feels actually like, was good. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Nick. I was just going to say, it feels like every ifs has like the, their own subset of ifs within the yeah. if <laughs> like that's kind of how it feels. That's it, like you, the, I like the idea of squinting hard and trying to make it work because <laughs> I think underwhelming is too kind an adjective for this roster at this point. Um, actually, Blake, that wasn't going to be my first question to you was about that article. I read that you wrote about, it did feel at the beginning uh, after the lockout, like they had a, they had a concrete plan. You could say, oh, okay. So they're going to go out and get a bunch of solid veterans guys that can you know help the team and if as expected they you know are not going to snip a playoff spot they can you know trade those guys away and restock the farm a little bit more and we talked about this on the podcast last year like oh they're probably going to have one more year where they they do what they did and tear it down at the deadline and you know restock a little bit and and then as you mentioned it just kind of faded away and they, they stopped making any moves and there have been all of these guys that got signed to one-year deals or two-year deals I don't think they signed a single player to more than a one-year deal um this offseason and you know there's all these guys that got these deals and you look and say well why didn't the Nats do that that would have been a good thing for this roster and that would have been a great trade piece later and what do you think is their plan are they just drifting this year and are they really even trying to compete during the time that they have Juan Soto, because it's not like that's a long time from now. And if they're going to let this year just go by without really trying to either tear it down at the deadline or trying to win, then what is, what are they doing? Yeah. I I think the the point you make about Soto is a good one where you've got three years of him. You don't want to just completely waste it and not either get back towards contention or, kind of build your roster in a way that's going to help you get there quicker. So either signing guys to multi-year deals, and this is one thing that I would have liked to have seen them do, is kind of find some foundational piece if the price was right. Like you didn't have to go out aggressively and go after like Correa, Trevor Story, someone like that. But like they showed in 2010, around 2011, whenever they signed Jason Worth, like you don't, if you're not, or you don't have to plan to compete to go get that piece. You can kind of get that piece a year or two in advance to try and set it because 
to kind of overhaul the roster within one off season. It's just not particularly feasible. So if they're trying to get back to being competitive while they still have one side under team control, they haven't really done a huge amount towards that this off season. Like maybe Nelson Cruz nets a nice prospect or two at the deadline. If he hits like um, I think they've, uh, when the twins traded him last year, they got Joe Ryan who's starting for them on opening date. Like if you can get someone like that, who even if they slot in as like a third or fourth start, then you're starting to build towards that. But aside from Nelson Cruz, you're kind of hoping on some of the bullpen guys to maybe hit like Steve Ciszek, Sean Doolittle. Those are the kind of guys that you could potentially trade. And yeah, I've Rizzo came into the spring kind of with the positive attitude. Obviously he's not someone who deliberately goes into a season wanting to lose, but they're trying to have, an eye on the future. And like we've talked about, I saw that that like right out of the gates after the lockout and didn't see it as much since. Like you say, there were some guys on one year deals that have signed since the lockout finished that potentially they could have scooped up. Like I think of Zach Grenke, potentially Matthew Boyd, Michael Pineda, Chris Archer, or someone in like a corner outfield because they're outfield. Obviously they've got, they've got so they have a couple center field ish guys, but someone Mm -hmm. like Andrew McCutcheon, Tommy Pham, someone like that, who it's like, there is some question marks, which is why they've got these one year deals, but someone who, if it hits, you could pull back a relatively decent prospect in that. So yeah, it, it was a bit disappointing. And even though they're, not necessarily expecting to be competitive. They are more looking to the future than trying to be competitive this year, I think. I, I love that point you made about Jason Worth. And I have my own feelings on Jason Worth. Like, I, I think, you know, especially towards the end of his contract, it definitely, we saw the albatrossness mm-hmm. of the contract. But, you know, you, you made a great point that the Nats were not expecting to be competitive in that immediate year following the signing, like that was more for the future. And I I was definitely still surprised that even after lockout, they didn't go get a Trevor story or a Correa, especially for the the deal Correa signed or Chris Bryant, who seemingly would have fit perfectly with holes at third base and left field. I don't know. And I'm, I promise I'm not going to, you know, just bombard you with questions about what could have been, but looking (laughs) towards the future and I I might be glossing over the 2022 season a little too quickly, but is that something we might see in the future, maybe even at the deadline, if a, a, you know, a controllable asset becomes available. I know Brian Reynolds has, his name's been throwing out there. I don't know if the Nats would even entertain that considering how much it would probably take to get him, but are they going to look to really go get another foundational piece to pair with Juan Soto, Juan Soto, or are they just counting on someone like a Kiber Ruiz or one of these young guys to step up and, you know, establish themselves as another foundational piece in an attempt to say, Hey, we, you know, to, to Juan Soto during extension talks, Hey, we can do this, you know, please don't leave. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it's going to depend on how this roster shows. Obviously, I think they've shown this year that maybe they don't want to get too ahead of themselves and try and turn things around quickly when they're not entirely sure how it's going to go. Like, you do have a potential foundation there with Soto, you have Kbert Ruiz, you have Josiah Gray, you have some of the other guys. So you have Brady House, who's probably a little bit further away, but you have some of those guys who are not far away and you're kind of trying to see how they play out before you go and make that move. Like when they made that move for Jason Worth, you had 
Steven Strasburg, I think he was, that was after his debut season while he was on the IL. You had Bryce Harper looming. Um, you had a lot of those pieces that you were pretty sure on. And you had the likes of, say, Ian Desmond at shortstop. You had Anthony Rendon um, a little way away, but someone who you were pretty sure you were going to count on. Like you, you had the idea that you had that solid foundation. At the moment, they're still kind of feeling that out because their decision to tear it down only came, what, like less than 12 months ago. So I think they're trying to feel that out. If they can then see people like Cabo Ruiz, Josiah Gray, if they see rebounds from Patrick Corbin, Steven Strasburg this year, then I think that's when they might go, right, this is the time we can get back to contention in 2023, 2024, because we know this foundation is here now. So I think that's what you're kind of looking for before they go make the big splash move. I hear there's a... Uh, Certain former national shortstop coming to free agency I after this year. So, that up. Yep. <laughs> and uh, yeah, there's. Are you listening, like, Mike Rizzo? Make it. <laughs> I think that that would be a pretty popular move around these parts. Um, so that there's definitely kind of the idea behind that. If you get the foundation looking like you expect it to this season. Yeah, actually, my next question was going to be, you just brought up Corbin and, and Strasburg and what we might see from them this year, which is to me a complete question mark. Um, mm. You know, the, the rotation is real. It's not good right at the moment. Um, you know, with Strasburg not going to start the season, I, I feel like after two years, essentially, of not really seeing him pitch, I don't know that any of us, including the, the, the front office or, you know, the management of the team knows what we might see from him this year. Corbin, you know, had just a dreadful season last year. Um, I almost feel like he's got nowhere to go, but up. Um, hopefully he's going to have a bit of a bounce back. I know he's going to be our opening day starter, which is a little <laughs> bit of a demonstration of how far things have fallen. <laughs> but what do you expect to see from Corbin and Strauss this year? And then if you could just touch on kind of how you think the rest of that rotation is going to fall together and um, what you're, what you're thinking we're going to, we're going to see from them. Yeah, I think you, you, touched on it there where across the entire pitching staff there's pretty much no certainty whatsoever from the rotation to the bullpen and it does start with Corbin and Strasburg like these guys are the guys who you've paid all this money to to be at the head of the rotation so I think like you say Corbin he's looked a bit better this spring which is kind of promising in terms of how he's throwing his pitches he's using his slider a lot better and hitters obviously they're in spring training mode but in terms of the kind of swings that they've been making on them I think there's definitely progress and hey he, he was one of the worst pitchers in all of baseball last season like <laughs> there, there is nowhere to go but up and I think he can get towards that maybe not to his 2019 levels when he was like a key part of that season and the world series run but if you can get someone who has an ERA under four out of him you're kind of back to where you expected rather than someone who you just can't count on in the rotation. And I think if, if I could predict the future on Steven Strasburg, I'd, I, <laughs> I'd be doing a lot better for myself uh, going gambling <laughs> elsewhere, like coming off thoracic outlet syndrome. Like there, there's not many recent examples of people who have come back from that successfully. Like you've seen it completely derail the career of the likes of Matt Harvey. Chris Archer is back with the twins this year, but, how much certainty is there when he was a pretty key piece of the Rays before, uh, went to the Pirates and just has completely faded to the point where he's trying to reprove himself with the Twins now. So um, particularly for someone whose velocity has gone from 
where he would hit like 99 and 100 with his debut season to potentially someone who's going to hover in the low 90s now like he's someone who can pitch with his off-speed stuff but it's just a case of staying staying healthy being able to obviously he's missing the start of the season but if he can just stay healthy and feel his way back in then that's a good start you've still got I think it's five years left on that contract. So you're you're hoping to see something promising out of that, even if it's not um, anywhere close to where he's been before. I think this this for Steven Strasberg is kind of rediscovering how he can pitch following thoracic outlet syndrome. So I, I can't tell you how he's going to be doing. I haven't been down in West Palm Beach to actually get a first-hand look. Um, so it's just one big mystery. Oh, well, it definitely yeah. is. What do you think about the other three spots? Um, yeah, I, I remember the days when uh, the, the Nationals basically had their four stars and all we had to watch in spring training was some battle between Eric Fetty, Joe Ross, and Austin Boat. It was like an annual <laughs> tradition between those three. Yeah, it was three. like for 100 or so years, if I remember. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, now you're looking at um, Josiah Gray, who obviously is going to be a key part of this future and he's got to perform well if they're going to turn things around quickly. Um, Eric Fetty looks like he's pretty much got a, a rotation spot sewn up. Um, and then you've got uh, Josh Rogers, who did pretty well at the end of last season. Obviously, the stuff isn't there with him. He's more pitching in terms of command and making sure to get weak contact. And then in the final spot, you've got probably Anibal Sanchez, I think. Um, Joanna Don is still the only other starter in camp who's not Steven Strasburg and going on the IL. So I think it will be Anibal Sanchez. And yeah, I think uh, his last spring training performance has not filled people with a lot of confidence in where he is at right now after taking 2021 off. So it wasn't it, great. No. And this, this is where this team is going to fall down. I think you can argue that the lineup is solid. I don't know if it's going to be lead and league in anything, but I think you can expect some some fireworks, particularly out of that two, three, four with Soto, Cruz and Bell. But then it, it's the pitching staff that's going to let this team down. Like, there's no certainty. You could see potentially this team be like one of the worst pitching staffs in the league, especially in the bullpen where you don't really have a set closer. Maybe Steve Ciszek, if that if he's your closer at, the, at this point in his career, it's not a great spot to be in. So, yeah, the, the pitching staff isn't, the strength of this team. And I think that shows where you have guys like Anibal Sanchez, who's probably going to crack the team. Obviously I think two years down the line, potentially it's going to be massively different because you've got Kay Cavalli, who's still a little way away, but he's someone who impressed early on this spring. He also got whacked around in that uh, Cardinals game a bit, but you've got Kay Cavalli, you've got Jackson Rutledge, who hopefully if he can stay healthy this year, can kind of reestablish his stock. And then you've got, Cole Henry, who's really improving and kind of putting um, some of the concerns from his LSU days behind him. Again, he's another one who's um, a bit contingent on injury history because he, he missed quite a bit of time. But I think th this one's this season's going to be one where you grit your teeth with the rotation, but hopefully you might at least get a glimpse of someone like Kay Cavalli and you get like light at the end of the tunnel, I guess. Yeah, well, that's... I, that's... Uh... That's where That's we're going to have to hang optimistic. our hope on. <laughs> <laughs> I want to shift to the outfield. Obviously, we have Juan Soto. That's locked down. That's 
pretty much the only position top to bottom pitching staff, offensively, defensively, whatever that we have locked down. <laughs> uh, but center and left field are definitely up in the air. And I'm honestly kind of surprised that the Nats didn't do something to address it. Even if it was just a flyer, similar to like what they did with Michael Franco, who's now their opening day <laughs> third baseman, but they Hi. didn't really bring, <laughs> they didn't really bring any one in like a true guy. Like I know D strange Gordon who made the team great uh, spring training. He's going to be out there a little bit, but it was surprising to see them not bring in anyone. What are your thoughts on basically Robles Lane Thomas and Yadiel Hernandez kind of manning that uh, left field center field option. And then also, could you see the Nats making a move for a guy like Justin Upton who just got DFA'd or is that just kind of a pipe dream? Um, I don't think someone like Upton is a pipe dream, but I think that might be a very specific case because um, I'm pretty sure it's been talked about as well. I think it was Mike Rizzo who drafted him back in his Arizona day. So he's someone who he knows well and someone that hopefully Justin Upton would trust. So if he's going to come to the Nationals, then you could argue that he's going to get enough playing time. Obviously, he'd have to play in left field because you've got Nelson Cruz locking down DH pretty much full time and uh, Justin Upton in the outfield at the moment could be a bit of an adventure, but like I, I so wouldn't be Hernandez. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And I, I, the I... Names for that, actually. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't be shocked by that, but I don't think they're gonna um, they're gonna go out and make a bigger move per se. Like I think at the moment they're pretty content with what they've got, and again, it's looking towards the future, like can you salvage something out of Victor Robles after the last two years where he's been way off where he was in 2019? Even if you get to the point where he's an exceptional center fielder and whatever you get with the bat is a plus, especially with the DH, you can kind of hit Victor Robles nine, see what, see what you can get out of there. See if he can be a second leadoff guy and cause, um, cause some havoc on the bases with his speed. The key thing for Robles though, is cutting down on those mistakes. Like, Whenever he's out on the field, arguably he's one of the most raw, talented players out there with his arm, his speed, his bat. Like he does have like the power and the contact and all those skills are there. It's just the application of them. And if he if he cuts down on the mistakes, then he could be a core part of this future. If he can't, at some point the nationals are gonna lose patience. But this is exactly what this kind of year is about, discovering that, learning that, and it's funny, Lane Thomas, a guy who wasn't even on the roster eight, nine months ago, whenever the trade deadline was, is arguably one of the pieces that fans might actually be somewhat excited about. Maybe some of that is uh, because it was John Lester who managed to get him, given his uh, train wreck that something positive came out of that while he was with the Nationals last season. But um, The key to happiness is low expectations. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> and yeah, uh, and I also think, it kind of speaks to how much they think of Yadiel Hernandez as a hitter. Obviously, we've mentioned he, he might be a bit of an adventure in the outfield, but he is someone who is going to hit. Is he going to be someone who's a long-term part of this team's future? Probably not, because even though he's only in, what, like his third major league season, he is into his 30s now. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's tricky, but I, I do think there are reasons for optimism and it's going to be interesting to watch because I think it's going to be key to see how this turns out in the long term. Can you get potentially an outfield of Thomas Robles and Soto? I think that would be 
the Nationals' ideal scenario because then you've got those three guys, or even if you end up slotting Lane Thomas as a fourth outfielder. That's, the word ideal uh, is doing a lot of work in that sentence. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to watch at the very least and potentially crucial to how the team plays things out in the next two years or so. Yeah, I think you made an excellent point about Robles. There's been a lot of people saying, why in the name of all that is holy, would you keep playing Robles instead of Thomas as the starter? But I think you're right that they this is the time for them to figure out, like, can yeah. he be salvaged? Because if he can't, then, you know, you need to move on from him and and make some decisions. By the, yeah, it's a make or break year. Season. And, hmm. Yeah, it really is. I know we said that about Michael A. Taylor for a long time. Um, but for Robles, the mistakes are something that's so maddening because you're right, he has so much talent. And, you know, he just, you know, he's not a rookie. He's been in the big leagues for a good amount of time now. And he just, those mental mistakes are, they just keep coming back and, and they keep happening. And, and it's, it's very frustrating to watch, but I hope he will have an improved season. And maybe the, the lack of any pressure will be something that works in his favor. Um, I do have one more question for you, which is about, I want to just zoom out a little bit on the, the NL East more broadly. Um, the Mets, are they, you know, the, the news this week with with Degrom and then with Scherzer, um, are what do you do? You think they're going to disappoint again this year, or are they for real? They certainly look good on paper, but um, the wheels seem to already be starting to come off, and we haven't even started yet. And then um, I also wanted to ask you about the Phillies, who you know have a lineup that's just going to mash. That's it's, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. But do you think that they are actually going to be able to challenge the Braves for the division, or is the the bad pitching going to be too much for the the bats to overcome? Yeah, I think I think it's the Braves division to lose and who thought we'd be saying that after Freddie Freeman goes to Los Angeles. But they they came up with a good replacement in Matt Olson and it's not at the point where I don't think the Mets did quite enough to make it their division to lose. So even though they got Scherzer, Marte, they picked up some of the guys from the A's, Mark Canner and Chris Bassett, like they've done enough to bring themselves into contention but I still think the Braves are going to take some toppling this year to actually um like not win the division so I I do like the Mets and I've been kind of putting them on the fringes for the past few seasons now I think uh one thing I learned pretty early on was you've got to see it to believe it with the Mets before you start predicting them to do bigger things Low Mets is eternal, as they say. Um, but <laughs> you, and case in point this week where DeGrom is now scheduled to miss, I think he's set to be shut down for four weeks. So you're probably looking at mid-late May before the earliest case scenario that he comes back. And as the Nationals have seen firsthand the last few years, how much of a difference he can make in every single game that he pitches. Like He's about as dominant as they come in this generation, I guess. Um, so I, I'm a bit more hesitant on the Mets to predict anything too grand for them, but I do think they have closed the gap at the top of the division. And with the with the Phillies, it's it's similar with them because they've been making some of these big moves this past off-season, like when they brought in Bryce Harper, when they brought in Zach Wheeler, and they've done it again this off-season, kind of to a lesser extent, but still big enough moves like Schwarber and Castellanos where... People are taking note, but they always seem to neglect that bullpen. And this year, that's potentially made even worse by a defense that's going to be way worse than it has been 
in previous years because they're going to have to stick one of Schwarber or Castellanos in the field. Um, Reese Hoskins hasn't been fantastic at first base. The infield is still a bit sketchy as well. So I think the combination of that bullpen and uh, the shaky defense is still going to let them down and keep them short of what they've been hoping to actually take the next step on the last few years. And I like that there's potential that lineup could be fantastic and one of the best in baseball, but I don't know. We've, we've seen it before with the Phillies where they have a good enough lineup and it lets them down. So I, I think they could win the NL East, but I, I don't think that's going to happen. They, they probably need to first make the playoffs before they have higher ambitions than that. Sounds like a lot of late game collapses uh, out of Philadelphia, and I'm here for it because mm-hmm. there's going to be Dude, a lot of Twitter. pain here at home. <laughs> so getting our, pa- our, our enjoyment from someone else's pain is a must. Do you not believe in Brad Hand locking down games for them? <laughs> no, been there, done that. I know. That. <laughs> yeah. The voice of sad experience says no. <laughs> oh man! All right, Blake. We want to do some rapid fire questions uh, with you about the upcoming 2022 season for the Nationals. If you, you know, looking at this team, and you you talked about it uh, earlier in the interview, you said you had the team around 70 wins. What place do you think the Nats finish in? In the division, last. Yeah, in the division. That, yeah. That's not that's not even too much of a debate. I think it's going to be between them and the Marlins, and I think the Marlins did enough this off season to move out of the basement and kind of go closer to eighty wins. I don't think they quite get to eighty wins just yet, yeah. but there's I think there's more to like about the Marlins than there is the Nationals at the moment. I'll tell you what, we've been doing this rapid fire segment with a couple of interviews we've done uh, over the past couple of weeks. And that seems to be like a, a free bingo space. Like what place do you <laughs> finish in? It's like, oh, fifth. <laughs> everyone, everyone is consistent there. Yeah, I, I think you can, you can make an argument for fourth, but I do think they're probably destined for last place. I agree. Uh, that's for sure. All right. Excluding Juan Soto from the conversation because he might be the MVP of the league. Who do you think the Nationals team MVP is uh, for the 2022 season? Uh, I know uh, bold predictions were supposed to be on the agenda, so this might give away where my bold prediction is going, but <laughs> I, I I, like Cabo Ruiz. I like what he's done this spring, and I think previously he's been kind of slow styling at a lot of levels that he's been at, and then kicking on and starting to rake at the plate and make a big difference, so I think Cabo Ruiz is going to be a massive boon to the Nationals this year. I like that one. Yeah, I'm, I'm really buying into the hype as well. So I'm hoping uh, he's like the one part of the team that doesn't disappoint. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, same question, but for Cy Young, who do you think the Nats team Cy Young will be? Mm. Do I have to pick <laughs> <Amanda>. someone? <laughs> is there a none of the above option? Yeah. Um, Who's going to be the most impressive relative to expectations or something like that? I think I'll... I'll... I'll go with Patrick Corbin. I know the temptation is to go with Josiah Gray, but I, I still think there's a fair amount of work to do at the major league level. I think he'll be able to do it, but I think teams were starting to catch up to him a bit at the end of last year. Obviously, some of that might be injury-related because he missed a fair chunk of last season. He was kind of getting back on track, but I think there are going to be some bumps along the way with Gray this year, even if he's going to impress in flashes. So I'll, I'll go with Patrick Corbin because... 
I don't think he was anywhere near as bad as he was last season. I think that was just every single thing that could go wrong going wrong. So I, I think if, if Corbyn can put together something, an ERA maybe in like the 3.5s, I think that would be pretty good. And to be honest, probably lead the rotation in ERA at that point. I don't mind that pick. Obviously, I think we're all kind of we have our, our opinions on Patrick Corbin after the mm-hmm. the the, pre, uh, the previous season, but I, I don't mind that pick because we paid him for a reason. So you know maybe he does rebound, and we're not giving him enough credit. All right, if you're looking at the team, and it could even be someone in the minors, who's one dark horse guy, one guy that you know might end up contributing a lot to this 2022 season. Um, who's one player to watch? Um, so, so someone from the minor leagues, I, someone I've, I've been trying to make a breakout happen for the last few years is Matt, Matt Cronin, who's a, a left-handed reliever who was a fourth round pick in 2019. Um, I think he came out of Arkansas, if I remember right. And when he's pitched in the minor leagues, he's been absolutely dominant and he's got the stuff and demeanor of a future closer. So with the, the bullpen this year, and I, I think the bullpen is going to be pretty awful so there's going to be a lot of opportunity for players to come up including someone like Matt Cronin who um, started at double a last year or pitched mostly in double a last year so is someone who's going to either start there or start in triple a and is going to be a little way away Um, so maybe someone who comes up mid-season but there's going to be a lot of turnover in the bullpen and I think he's someone who can kind of come up and impress kind of in a similar way to Tanner Rainey, in a sense, when he came up in 2019. Um, I think Cronin is better than Tanner Rainey because Rainey has had a lot of control issues and that was well noted. Cronin doesn't have that quite as much. So I, I think he's someone to keep an eye on in the early part of the season and someone who could be with the big league club by mid-season. I like, I like that, that because, one. yeah, I've Let's always been looking that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've been looking at the, the Nationals prospects forever now, and it seems like his name has always been, uh, especially before the trade deadline, always been up there. And it's like, well, we haven't seen this guy yet, but maybe this is the year with so many, you know, moving parts and uh, jobs th- not locked down. That he gets I think one, one other thing, I think he's rule five eligible next off season, so between 22 and 22. So they probably need to add him to the 40-man roster anyway before the season is, uh, or before next season. So he's probably going to get on the roster at some point. It doesn't hurt too much if they bring him up this year and kind of get a nice look at him at the big league level if he continues to impress in the upper minors. That makes a lot of sense. That, that's a good point. I'm glad you pointed that out. All right, you knew it was coming. Lay your bold prediction on us. What is Kaberu he's going to do? Because I know that's where you're going. So my my bold prediction, and I, I'm going a bit out there. Kaberu Ruiz, NL All Star. I love I, it. I love it. So uh, that that's a, a little bit out there, and maybe going a bit far. But if you look at kind of the the pool of National League catches, you have Will Smith, JT Realmuto, and not a lot else. Like. Right. I think it's pretty conceivable that he can have a good enough first half to actually either pit one of those guys, make the team as like a third catcher or something. I think he's in a prime spot to succeed with the Nationals as well in that fifth spot in the order, which is where it looks like he's going to sit behind Soto, Cruz, Bell. So I, that that one's a bit out there. And 
I, I think it's something that maybe maybe it doesn't happen, but these are bold predictions. They got to be a little bit out there. Yeah, it's got to be out there. I it wouldn't love be it. bold. It, it makes a lot of sense because obviously all stars are just like gold gloves are they're an offensive award. Like if hmm. you're padding the stats offensively, which Ruiz might be able to do with where he projects to hit in the lineup. I could see that. And I absolutely love it. Like I said, I am all in on the, the Ruiz hype and that just means I'm going to be disappointed, but it's gonna, <laughs> I'm going to enjoy the ride. while it lasts. Hey, it's going to be one of the many ways you get disappointed this year. So it won't even be special. It's fine. And uh, I, I thought I'd make my uh, bold prediction a positive one. I think there's going to be a lot of negative with the Nationals this season. <laughs> oh, I, probably. I, I, I did have another one penciled in that the Nationals are probably going to be uh, last in ERA and FIP. But yeah, there, <laughs> there's a lot of negative. I'll, I'll make my bold prediction a positive one for the Nationals for a change. <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate <laughs> One thing you can always count on the Nats is they always find new and uh, creative ways to disappoint us. <laughs> yeah, that's for certain. All right, uh, before we let you go, my my final question for you, I, and I'm sure you know this is coming. You've been on the show, uh, so you know you know what we're like when we end these interviews. Uh, what's your thoughts on the World Cup draw? Oh, that that's going to be fun! It's the, the, the day, day after Thanksgiving we get to recolonize America via the means of football or soccer. I, I'm looking forward to it. the The last time it happened in 2010, I actually missed England's goal, so it was a it was a big thing in the country because. Uh, the TV provider, the footage went out just before Gerard's goal Ooh. in the first minute. Oh no! So, <laughs> so that that was fun, and then uh, Rob Green again scarred the nation by letting it through his legs. So we need to we need to make that right this time around. <laughs> All right. Well, well I'm excited what, about it. And I don't even watch soccer. And I'm me neither. <laughs> but I know it's the group of death, and it's the group of death because the United States of America's in it. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I, and, I don't really watch soccer but really it's like same thing with the olympics it's football like amanda put a come team on usa on a jersey i'm gonna watch like that's just all there is to I, it. some respect I, amanda it's football sorry football it's the it's the day after thanksgiving as well like everyone's <laughs> gonna be watching it. It, it yeah it's lined up perfectly for england to disappoint it, it, i can't wait well can't wait so much trash talk. <laughs> hey, we gotta talk talk a little trash it's not like i can do anything with the gnats right now like, no exactly it, that's it the worst part about this rebuild is the inability to talk any trash because people are like yeah well your team sucks and you're like i know you're right yeah you're yeah. right <laughs> <laughs> all right blake thanks so much for joining us uh it's always a pleasure having you on the show uh all of our followers be sure to give blake a follow on twitter at finney blake and go check out his work at federal baseball blake thanks so, so much for joining us hopefully the uh the nats 2022 season uh isn't as bad as we all expect it to be <laughs> thanks guys pleasure as always <laughs> thanks blake big thanks once again to blake finney for joining us for our nationals season preview like I said, he was very honest with his expectations for the Nats this season. It was a very refreshing conversation to have. And uh, you sense a theme going on here, right? It's not just us. And I don't think it's just, you know, some of the people you see on Twitter. There, There's a theme going on with the vibe of the Nats. So it's all just in effort to adjust our expectations just have fun with baseball let's just enjoy baseball it's pressure-free baseball there is some liberation that comes with that and we can just sit back and enjoy and like let the young guys cook obviously i wish some of the other young guys were up with the big club cooking but that that's another conversation and some of it will we'll, 
you know we have covered in our interviews and will cover in this next interview we wouldn't cap it off any other way but with our best friend of the show matt wyrick of nbc sports washington ryan and i of course sat down with matt wyrick um you know we had a very fun interview with him as always we covered the nats but also just opened it up to some more general mlb predictions and expectations and whatnot matt great as always uh you know you know what's coming you know you guys are gonna love it here he is we're now joined by best friend of the podcast matt wyrick from nbc sports washington you guys can find him on twitter at by matt wyrick and you can head on over to nbc sports washington to check out all matt's latest pieces and keep up with all things dc sports matt how you do man thanks for coming on again yeah, I'm good, guys. Thanks for having me. Good to be back. Absolutely. Um, just diving right on in, one of the kind of randomly late interesting stories with this team is Lucius Fox. He was optioned to AAA club, and all of a sudden today he had to drive back, I believe he drove back, from Rochester, and he's going to be coming up to, the t- uh, coming up to D.C., according to Davey. Do you think that Fox has a shot of being on the opening day roster? And if he does... What type of role could we expect from the former top prospect? Yeah, you know, I, I think with the injury to Hire Adrianza, uh, who suffered a quad injury in a game last week uh, and is reportedly not back to full 100% at this point, uh, it's looking more and more likely that Fox could make the roster as an infielder, stopgap kind of player until Adrianza is ready to come back off the injured list. Uh, he is on the 40-man roster, so that kind of gives him a leg up over maybe some of the other guys. Luis Garcia was probably the best other candidate to make, take that spot, but with you know the Nationals wanting to get him every day at bats down in AAA, it just makes more sense for them to bring Fox up. And he's a guy that I think Nationals fans you know could really like right off the bat. Got great speed, uh, makes some flashy plays in the field. He, he's, he's a joy to watch for sure, and I, I'm looking forward to him getting some opportunities. And you never know, maybe he plays well enough to uh, make a case and, and stick around longer. Yeah, there's definitely openings on this roster. We'll just put it at that. There's not much that's, you know, set in stone uh, top to bottom. So I'm hoping Fox really gets a shot and, you know, he makes the most of it as uh, do some other guys. I wanted to get your thoughts on just spring training as a whole, uh, you know, for everyone listening, we're recording this on Monday. So it's not quite over yet, but opening day is just a couple of days away. Is there one spring training storyline that sticks out to you more than the others, whether it's good or bad? Like what's your, you know, where your eyes uh, take you for uh, spring training and all the storylines that have unfolded? Yeah. You know, you try not to look too much into numbers specifically. Like, I don't think, Anybody should be freaking out about Nelson Cruz and the fact that he really wasn't hitting at all up until today when he did go yard, um, you know, things like that. I think more on the long lines of players who needed to play well in order to make the roster and whether they did or didn't, that's, uh, I think, more of an indicator. Guys like Victor Robles, who, you know, I believe he still only has two hits uh, so far in spring, just has kind of looked a little bit all over the place, both in the field. And at the plate, uh, the Nationals are going to be most likely starting the season with him as their starting center fielder. I don't feel like he really proved a whole lot more than what we've already seen from him uh, in spring training. Uh, so the fact that they were are giving him that center field job just kind of tells me that was their plan from the beginning. And, you know, they were really had to find a reason not to do it. Um, but I do think that Lane Thomas coming in and hitting really well and D. Strange Gordon coming in hitting really well. We're both really good to see, you know, they were kind of the two main bright spots for the Nationals throughout this spring. 
while they've had the lowest batting average in all of baseball uh, throughout spring training. Those two guys have really stood out, and Lion Thomas is going to be the starting left fielder almost certainly. Uh, and Strange Gordon looks like a lock to make the, the roster as a bench guy who can play all over the field for him. So, you know, I think both of those were, were pretty exciting to see. And, you know, I'm, I'm definitely, you know, with a guy like Thomas who, you know, coming off of last year hit really well for the Nationals in a short sample after really not doing anything for the Cardinals prior to the trade, you were really looking to see him prove that he could stay hot and continue to carry over what he did last year. And so far that's happening. So the Nationals got to be ecstatic about that having traded only John Lester to get him. You mean the corpse of John Lester. Exactly. <laughs> um, so Matt, we're going to kind of dive into some games here with you. And the first game we're going to start off with is fair or foul. I'm going to ask you four, maybe five questions. I'm still debating on the fifth one. I'm going to ask you four questions about the Nats. If you agree, you'll say fair and why. And if you disagree, you say foul and why. You ready? Got it. All right, let's do it. So fair or foul, the Nationals have the inside track for the first overall pick. Hmm, I'm going to say foul uh, simply because they're kind of You're a homer. rebuilding. Pro- no, I'm not. <laughs> See, this is the thing. They are new to the rebuilding process. The Pirates and the Orioles have been doing this for years. They've got it down. They know how to lose 100 plus games uh, and they've been doing it for a while. So I think that you, know, you got to look at them. You got to look at the Diamondbacks. Um, and, and honestly, the Oakland A's is teams that are just all out tearing their rosters down to the studs and really not leaving much else. You know, the Nationals, they're going to have Juan Soto probably account for at least 10 wins on his own. I think that probably prevents you from losing 105 plus games, which is what it's most likely going to take uh, for the number one pick. So if you ask me about the number one pick, I'll say foul. But if you say another top five pick, I would say that's fair. It will be Tankathon has the Nats getting the fifth pick. They did a yeah, multiple sim seasons and they have them at the fifth pick. Need that to go up to one. All right, moving on. Fair or foul, Josh Bell will play the entire season on the Nationals. Hmm. I am going to say foul. Um, I think that he is probably the best trade ship that they have, as besides once. So, obviously, as the roster is currently constructed. Uh, you know, Nelson Cruz is also going to be somebody who stands a good chance. Uh, but I think that Bell is somebody who could be really poised for a monster season. And I have very high expectations for him coming into this year. Uh, after the way he hit down the stretch last year, we just really saw him come alive. And if he can shake off that slow start that he had last year, I mean, those first six weeks of the season really dragged his numbers down. You know, he could flirt with a 900 OPS this year. And I think that's going to you know, really lure in some people on the trade market. First base looks like a stack position. So if you're a playoff contender who's deficient in that area offensively, I think you need to get a guy like Bell to, to pull you up. So I'm going to say foul because I believe that the Nationals will be sellers at the deadline and he's going to be one of the most likely guys to go. Yeah, I, I agree. I just I just don't like carrying it. That sucks. <laughs> yeah, that, that hurts. <laughs> You know, right. I, I wanted I want to say that he'll sign an extension and stick around. And I think that would be great for the Nationals. I just don't know if that's necessarily the best route for him at this point, uh, considering that the Nationals are probably going to be looking for some kind of cost effective deal. Whereas, you know, he's most likely going to want to maximize his value. And if he plays well this year, his value is only going to be going up. So the time to extend him was prior to the lockout, if you ask me. And you probably won't want to play on another rebuilding team because... Miserable years in the Pirates, I would think. Yeah, about time he gets on a playoff team. (laughs) 
Moving on, fair or foul? This is Victor Robles's final year in DC. Mm, I'm going to say foul because there are really only two ways this this happens, right? He's either good or he's bad. <laughs> uh, and if he's good, then the Nationals are going to hold on to him, and because he's young enough, where you know maybe uh, you know he figures it out and you can give him a team friendly extension and keep him around in DC blah, 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 or he's bad and he has literal no trade value at all. And the nationals hold on to him as like a fourth outfielder and, or, you know, in the minors or whatever. Uh, and, you know, he finishes the year, you know, basically as a, as a fourth outfielder type. So either way, I don't really see a scenario where he gets traded. He could get DFA, but I, I think that it would have to go horribly, horribly, horribly wrong for him to get DFA. Uh, and, you know, that's saying a lot considering the, the batting averages that he's been putting up the last two years. So uh, I would say that he ends up on the roster at the end of the year, whether that's in the majors or the minors. And, uh, it's kind of amazing how many more chances Robles is getting. It's, it's a little admirable for the Nationals to be that loyal to someone who struggled this much. <laughs> hey, I will say, though, the only other out with Andrew Stevenson getting uh, put on waivers, the only other outfielder on the 40 man besides Gabriel Hernandez we haven't mentioned. Uh, is Donovan Casey. So uh, he was acquired in the, the Dodgers trade of Max Scherzer and Trey Turner, uh, hit really well in double-A and, and came up strong in triple-A last year too. So he's going to be right on the cusp, knocking on the door of the majors this year. And if he's hitting well and Robles isn't, I would not be surprised if the Nats make some kind of switch there. So we'll see. I thought you were going to say different outfielder has the same initials as a radio personality, and I was going to start screaming. So I'm glad you did it. Um, moving on. <laughs> Fair or foul, Luis Garcia has been phased out of the Nationals' future plans. No, I just don't think that. I think that when he got called up in 2020 and he did fine, a lot of fans jumped on it. Oh, he's ready for the majors. Like he's, you know, he had like a 750 OPS or something and, and he can do this. But the Nationals really see him as a guy who in the, in, in the field makes a lot of mental mistakes and in the box is prone to long slumps. And they want to see him. So show some maturity. I mean, really, he's only 21 years old. Uh, and at the end of the day, you know, they have plenty of years of control of him. They're not really trying to compete this year. So you can take him, take things slowly with him. Uh, and hey, you know, maybe Alcides Escobar gets some trade value and you're able to, to deal him later in the year. I don't know how likely that is, uh, but that's, you know, certainly keeping all of your options open as opposed to putting Escobar on the bench and starting the year with Garcia as your starting shortstop. I think taking things slow with him and, and letting him grow into the starting role is, is probably the best route for the Nationals at this point because there really is no reason to rush. I like it. I like it. And then the last question for you of this fair or foul, fair or foul, this is going to be seen as the rock bottom season in the Nationals rebuild when we look back on this in, say, 10 years when the rebuild's over? Mm, the rock bottom season. Um, I will say fair. Um, I would say this probably is going to be – I would probably group last season into this season – you know, I think that their win total is probably going to be around the same uh, as what it was last year. But yeah, I would say that things get better after the season. This is the season where you take one more step back to make your leap forward. Um, and I, you know, the Nationals haven't signed a multi-year deal in free agency in two years, and I do not expect that to continue another offseason. Um, so I think that they make substantial upgrades next year to try to make uh, a run at the playoffs and then be a full-blown contender again by Soto's last year. So 
I would say that would be fair. Uh, this is going to be the rock bottom season. Well, it's kind of hard for things to get much worse than they're seeming right now. So <laughs> this is that's, true. That is but if this fair. is the only off season where you are going into the year genuinely feeling like the Nationals have no chance, that's pretty good because I mean, last year, I mean, I'll even admit that I picked them as a wild card teams going into the season. So you know, if this is really the only off season that this fan base has to endure, you know, the the long shot odds of making the playoffs, I would say that's pretty good as far as rebuilds go. Yeah, that would be true. I have my own fair or foul that I just want to piggyback off of what Ryan said. Uh, fair or foul, Trey Turner is a Washington National in 2023. <laughs> I, I thought this might come up. Um, <laughs> I would say it's definitely fair in that I would expect the Nationals to be interested in him to be open to coming back. Uh, however, uh, it's a lot I of caveats in that sentence. Yeah, there are, there are a lot of caveats. Um, and uh, he is going to be looking for top dollar. So maybe not necessarily 300 million, considering what his age will be by the time he gets free. See, I believe he'll be 29. Um, so that's not necessarily $300 million, you know, territory, but he's probably going to be looking for around, you know, 215 to 240. Uh, so I don't know if the Nationals are going to be willing to meet that. So if you had to ask me right now, if he's going to be a Washington National, I'll probably say foul, but I do think that it's possible. I won't rule it out. 215 over what like seven years so probably looking 30, for seven 30 god that's a lot of money <laughs> a lot of money for as i've said before a guy whose best asset is speed which declines first out of any of the five tools so you know you're a little bit of concern there but how he's taken step forwards in the hitting department and his plate approach and even a little bit of power i think he could still be valuable and it's not like he's necessarily an injury prone guy but you know We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, we'll definitely see. All right, time for game number two for you, Matt. Uh, we're going to do a quick rapid fire segment, and this is only going to be about the Nationals. We're not quite opening up to the, to the league yet, but we wanted to get some you know, predictions for the National season and hopefully some uh, uh, reason to be optimistic. If you're looking at this team, who do you think the team's Cy Young would be? The team's Cy Young in 2022 um is going to be oh man i like how you brought out a, like a little chuckle before you answer every single time it's pretty funny. <laughs> you're asking good questions definitely <laughs> um i think i'm going to say it's going to be patrick corbin now i'm not saying that he's going to return to 2019 form but I think he is going to lead the Nationals in innings this year. And that honestly could be the most important thing for them. So if he can get that ERA down to a four or five, a four, uh, which might be asking a lot, but I think, you know, after the strong spring we've seen, you know, you never know. The bar um, is the you floor. Know, I, I think that would be, yeah, I think that would be a very big thing for the Nationals just so that they're not, you know, really struggling to get through the week in every turn of that rotation. Oh man, the bar is the floor. Um, <laughs> all right, putting Juan Soto aside because he might be the league's MVP, uh, let alone the Nationals' MVP. Who do you think emerges as like the true, I guess, number two to Juan Soto, or you know, the team's MVP in this case? Yeah, I think I'm going to stick with Josh Bell here. I, I, like I said, I have really high expectations for him this year. I do think Nelson Cruz is going to hit a lot of home runs, um, you know, but being in the DH spot. 
uh, not really providing a ton of value on defense. I really like what I saw from Bell in the field last year. And for him, you know, just being a switch hitter, solid defensive player and, and 30 home run threat, you know, that's a very well-rounded player. And, you know, I think that, that we're in for a big year from him. So I'll go with Bell. I like that. I mean, I'm a huge Josh Bell fan and I really do hope he sticks around, even though it might not make the most sense. I just think when you have a top seven ish first baseman, you should probably try to keep him and that would speed up a rebuild. But what do I know? All right. Uh, if you're looking at this team, it could be someone currently on the major league roster. It could be someone in the minors that might come up and contribute. Who's one guy that's not getting talked about a ton that might end up contributing a lot, you know, in a positive manner to uh, 2022? Um, you know, I think that who hasn't been talked about enough. Um, I think that we are going to see Evan Lee make his major league debut at some point this season. He was added to the 40 man roster this past off season uh, as a guy who um, would have been subject to the rule five draft. Now the rule five draft didn't end up happening. So the Nats didn't end up actually needing to protect him, uh, but he was added to the 40 man. So he's among the players. that's going to be called up a left-hander uh, who pitched pretty well. Uh, I believe it was in double a last year. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, if you look at the national starting pitcher rankings right now, uh, you know, you, you have the guys that the, the, who are competing for that number five spot, like Anibal Sanchez, who's not on the roster, but Josh Rogers, Paolo Espino, uh, Eric Fetty, those kind of guys, you know, the next tier in, in Jonah Don, I should say, next tier of pitchers, it probably starts with Seth Romero and Evan Lee. Um, and I, I think that we will see Lee at some point, you know, obviously Kate Cavalli is getting a lot of attention as a guy who get called up, but they're going to have to remove somebody from the roster in order to call him up. So if they're going to need somebody to insert into the rotation, I don't know if he's going to be the first guy they call. Uh, and I would wager that Lee is a guy who, uh, gets the shot and, you know, we'll see what he has. Yeah. It makes sense with, you know, the assumption that they would be sellers at the deadline. So there might be more spots open up on the big league roster and, but also in the, in the 40 man as well, if you know, they needed to shuffle some guys around uh, you just reminded me of something. Have we heard any update on Seth Romero and what's going on and what the nationals are doing with them with all of the off the field stuff? No. So the last I heard was about the first week into camp. I asked Davey what the deal was with him. And he said that, uh, he was in camp, but I've been shut down with a back issue, and we really haven't heard anything since then. I know he was optioned to minor league camp or AAA, one of the two, um, I think, believe among the first round of cuts, if not the second. So he is not with the major league club at the moment, um, but he is you know, in the organization uh, and the, I believe the DWI situation that he had last offseason is still ongoing. So uh, we have to kind of wait and see on that. Gotcha. Interesting. All right. Well, last rapid fire question for you is <laughs> probably uh, not the most fun one, but looking at this team, what position in the NLEs do you think they finish in and how many wins do you predict this team will have? Um, you know, I'm going to have to say fifth uh, in the NL East. I've actually, I've been asked a couple of times uh, what my win total is for the nationals. And I've honestly changed it like every time because I really haven't settled on a number yet. I, I put out my predictions the morning of opening day, so I'll have a final number then. But if I had to give you one right now, I'm going to say they win 67 games. I'll take the under. Uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and that even, you know, 
it does feel a little high, but, you know, I think they can flirt with 70 and, you know, depending on how Strasburg looks, you know, that's obviously going to be huge and how quickly he's able to come back. But with, with how much unknown that is, you know, I see them falling behind early and, you know, maybe they have a good month here or there to kind of bring that total up, but it's going to be rough out the gate with all these injuries that they have. I feel like if they're going to get close to 70 and they need to have a good first half, I feel like the second half Nats are going to be rather atrocious. To say really bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so we're going to ask you about more general baseball before we get there. What is your NLE standing predictions from one to four since you already just gave the Nats prediction? It's chalk, um, but I'm going Braves, Mets, Phillies, Marlins, Nats. Um, I've picked the Mets to win the division each of the last three years, and I'm not going to do it the fourth <laughs> time. Um, so I'm, I'm going to – I think it was – I was really in denial of just how good the Braves were, but uh, I really liked the move to replace Freddie Freeman with Matt Olson. Honestly, hot take, I think it's an upgrade. Uh, he's the best defensive first baseman in all of baseball. His bat really came around last year. He's honestly going to hit more home runs over the lifetime of that contract. And I think that, you know, as long as he doesn't pile up too many strikeouts, he can be an MVP type caliber player. So uh, I, I see him as, as definitely being an upgrade. And obviously they get Kenley Jansen, the back end of the bullpen and the rotation has a bunch of young and exciting arms and they get Soroka back at some point this year. Marcelo Zuna is, is going to be in the lineup again. Ronald Acuna Jr. coming back off of torn ACL. You know, this team is stronger than it was when they when it won Game 7 of the World Series, and you can't say that too often about defending champs, so I'm putting them at the top of the division. Yeah, I, I feel like I've had the Mets win the division a lot, but then the Mets just find a way to be a soap opera, and I feel like that's going to continue this year. So I, I like those standing predictions. It is April 4th. Little ways out, but what is your preseason World Series prediction and who wins? My preseason World Series prediction. Um, I think that, look, I have the standings pulled up right here. Um, I really like the Blue Jays coming into this year. That AL East is going to be tough, um, but I think that. I think that my AL pick is going to be the Mariners, who I think are really being slept on wow. coming into this year. I think hot take the Astros are going to be fighting for a playoff spot this year. Um, I think that losing Carlos Correa in the middle of that lineup was huge. The rotation just isn't what it used to be. Um, we're going to have to kind of see about that team. Um, but I'm going to say that the Mariners make it to the World Series, but they lose uh to the dodgers so dodgers mariners mariners break the the streak uh which if the phillies don't make it would mean the phillies have the longest active playoff draft in baseball which <laughs> would be wonderful um but i do think that this dodgers team is just it's so good i mean on so many levels yeah it's it, it's annoying picking the dodgers but it's also like can you can't blame anyone for picking the dodgers either the dodgers are just the dodgers yeah. all right if you're looking again general mlb now Who's your AL and NL MVP and who's your AL and NL Cy Young? I'm going with my same MVP picks from last year because both of them finished second. Uh, <laughs> and I think they're going to both win it. And that's Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Juan Soto. Um, Vladdy, I mean, if you take away what Otani did last year, I mean, Vladdy's season was 
about as good as we've seen since 2015 Bryce Harper. It was it was that good offensively, and just a shame that he happened to be playing in the same league as Babe Ruth 2.0. So uh, I think he comes back, does it again, and, and wins MVP. And, and Soto, you know, he might have a 500 OBP this year. I thought much he's going to get walked. So uh, if he can, you know, supplant that with, with 30, 35 homers, you know, I think he's pretty much a lock to get it. Um, Cy Young's, I've been kind of going back and forth on my Cy Young picks this year. I really like um, Kevin Gosman. Uh, I thought that he really showed a lot last year uh, in that Giants rotation. Now he's over uh, in the Blue Jays, which would mean the Blue Jays win a Cy Young in back-to-back years, which would be pretty nuts. Um, but I thought that, you know, losing Robbie Ray was was pretty bad, and, and they brought in Gosman, and I think that he is, is just as good, if not could be better. Uh, so I'll go with Gosman in the AL uh, and in the NL. Hmm. NL's tough. Um, you know, we saw a lot of guys not break 200 innings last year, and I think there's going to be more of a focus on that. So guys that I think can go the distance. Um, I really like Logan Webb with the Giants. He had a breakout season last year. I thought he was for real. I think Brandon Woodruff uh, is a good candidate, along with Corbin Burns, the reigning Cy Young winner. Um, so I think, I think I'm going to go with Logan Webb, but that, that is a little bit more wide open and I might change that pick, uh, before opening day. I like the pick and you've, you've hit us with a couple bold predictions today, but our last question we're going to ask for you is what is one bold prediction you have for the nationals 2022 season? Um, I think that one bold prediction for the Nats. Um, I'm going to say that when Cade Cavalli does arrive, he makes an immediate impact. Uh, he is a guy who I think that, you know, if they were to put him in the major leagues right now, I think he would get shelled a little bit and that's not a knock on him, but his control is, it's kind of obviously still needs some honing in. And, you know, he was a guy who was led them all of minor leagues and strikeouts last year, dominated high a dominated double a, but when he got to triple a, he did hit a little bit of a wall there. And he wasn't really able to, you know, blow past fitters with his fastball and, and use that for strikeouts all the time. Really had to incorporate his entire pitch repertoire uh, against those advanced hitters. And, and this is something that he's going to get to practice now in AAA. Uh, and I think that once he gets that gets that down, you know, he's going to be a really dangerous weapon. So when he comes up at the Nats, you know, I don't, I can't, I don't want to put a, a date on it yet because um, we kind of have to see how he does in AAA. But when he does, I think that he's going to be you know, somebody who fans can immediately say, this is a guy that we're going to build around moving forward. You know, you mentioned him getting shelled. If he doesn't have a commercial calling him the worst pitcher in baseball like Lucas Giolito does, <laughs> did he really get shelled? That's right. I mean, that sets the bar high. So. <laughs> <laughs> Makes a thing. Um, Matt, thank you so much for coming on and talking Nats baseball and what will probably not be a very fun season. Always a pleasure having you on. Once again, you guys can find Matt on Twitter at by Matt Weirich and head on over to NBCSports.com slash Washington to keep up with all of Matt's latest pieces and all things DC sports. Matt, thanks. Thank you so much, man. Yeah, thank you both. Big thanks once again to our best friend of the show, Matt Wyrick. You can give him a follow on Twitter at by Matt Wyrick. And be sure to follow all of our guests, uh, Jesse Doherty at Doherty underscore Jesse and Blake Finney at Finney Blake, both on Twitter and both great follows for your Nationals and baseball um, content desires. 
Speaking of content, one more time before we get out of here, be sure to check out the Patreon uh, for Half Street High Heat. Uh, you can just search Half Street High Heat over on Patreon.com, and you should see all of the tier options if you do want to subscribe or just check it out. Again, the first episodes are one of the uh, you know first episodes for each of the shows will debut for free on you know our, our main page, our main podcast, so you can you know listen to them like you would normally listen to this show, and you can kind of get a sense of how each episode will run and you know what they will cover before you want to uh, subscribe. I understand you know you, you want to make an informed decision. We're trying to help you with that. Again, we're not just trying to do this to to take your money. We're trying to do this to give you you know more better advanced baseball content and i believe we can do that through patreon so if you would please go check out our patreon page and if you consider uh supporting us uh through patreon i definitely appreciate it and i believe i speak for everyone over at half street high heat when i say we appreciate your support and even if you don't even if you don't support us on Patreon, that's perfectly fine. Listening to the show gives us the ability and just the motivation to keep going and keep doing what we, you know, have loved doing for three seasons, three seasons and counting now. So we appreciate you. We wouldn't have a show if it weren't for you guys. You guys are the best. Uh, you know, we're all in this together. It's going to be a fun, interesting, wild, wacky national season. We're all in this together. And we're hoping to have a little bit more fun with it than maybe we would have if we're, you know, overanalyzing and critiquing every single move or non-move the Nats make. So we're just going to sit back, relax, and have fun this season. At least try to. We'll see how long that lasts. But opening day is right around the corner. If you're listening to this on release day, we're just two days away. We will go back to two episodes a week starting now, or this week, I should say. Uh, Thursday's episode will be... Uh, one of my favorites every single year and that is our season predictions uh <clears throat> and it'll also be a you know more traditional episode that you've grown accustomed to uh previously uh amanda ryan and i will be back together um you know sitting down doing a full episode start to finish and just really you know diving into the season what we expect to happen all of our awards predictions all of our playoff predictions and world series predictions all that fun stuff, and obviously an opening day preview for the Nats as they take on the Mets this weekend. And then from here on out, we will go back to two episodes a week covering game recaps, all of the top storylines surrounding the Nats and baseball as well. So we're, we're right there. We're back into baseball season. The swing is here. I don't even know if that's a saying, but we're back in the swing of things uh, with Half Street High Heat and baseball season right around the corner. Very excited. I hope you guys enjoyed listening. Uh, be sure to follow everyone over on Twitter. Uh, but the main page is at Half Street High Heat Street with ST. You can follow myself at Nats Moose, Amanda at A White 7877, Ryan at We Are All Shack. Uh, you know what? I'm just going to do everyone. Uh, Danny at Nats underscore baseball. Matt Holleran at Holleran MDH, CK at CK Naeem 58, Tyler at Non Roster Invite, Allison at Juan Soto HR, Trey at Reverse, two R's, two S's, and last but not least, Monty at Monty2740. I believe I just got all that off the top of my head, which is pretty good. So uh, if you don't go follow them, I mean, that's just mean because I did that all from memory. All right, that does it for this episode. Again, we appreciate you guys listening, and we appreciate your support. We will be back on Thursday with our season predictions. And in the meantime, let's go baseball.
There's a new breeze blowing off the banks of the Potomac. A new team's mowing down the ranks of their opponents. The Nationals are smashing balls, so that the commentator who has the calls has passed the wall to see you later. By the early light of dawn, well, you can see they're running scared Cause the kinds of bombs we're launching are bursting in the air Tell the Library of Congress that they might not want to look Cause we're putting curly W's in every book When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.